First Peter chapter five. We're moving into chapter five. This is uh, we're no longer going to be talking about suffering. Now I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. Okay, stop it. Because I'm still going to teach, so you're going to suffer in a different way. But chapter five, starting in verse one, we're going to read verses one through six. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So we're going to stop right there. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for First Peter. And I pray this morning that you would uh, speak to each of us. Yeah, even though the majority of the men in this room are not elders, uh, maybe have never been one, and uh, don't expect to be one, I pray that you would show us that these, these verses apply to us as much as anyone else in this room. Uh, that, Father, we are each called to live like an elder, to live like a man who meets the qualifications of an elder, and that we are shepherds. And I pray that we would take that role seriously and that whether we're shepherding our wife, our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our friends, peers, that we would see that we are here to shepherd and to have the heart of a shepherd. So uh, speak to us this morning and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as I just prayed, many of you are not elders. You have never been an elder. Um, you may have never aspired to be an elder. I hope you don't take these verses and go, well, this doesn't apply to me, and so I'm not going to listen. I hope you will listen because, as far as I'm concerned, they apply to every man in the room, uh, whether you have been an elder, are currently an elder, or ever will be an elder. Um, in the context of this letter and everything that he's been talking about, um, I really do believe that he is, he's calling you to understand your role as a shepherd, which is really what an elder is. He is... Uh, ultimately, consummately, a shepherd. And so there's a responsibility that goes with that. There's a leadership tied to that. And every one of us is shepherding somebody. And we need to take that role very seriously. So verses 2 through 3, to me, are kind of the key verses uh, for this morning. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so we want to kind of take a look at that and see what he's having to say to every man in the room about this idea of being an elder. He's addressing elders in this letter. He's talking to those who have the title of an elder, who have the responsibility of an elder. And basically these are guys who lead. And it's interesting that um, he's, he's written this whole letter Talking about behavior, talking about contact, conduct, talking about godliness, talking about submission to the authorities and um, husbands and wives and slaves and 
masters. And, and now near the very end, he starts talking to the leaders. The, we don't know who these men were. We don't know how many there were. But he starts talking to the specific leaders about their role within this context of the body of Christ. And, and I think it's important for us to kind of see it the same way that he's been talking about a lot of different things, talking about suffering, talking about our reaction to suffering, suffering like Christ, understanding the role of suffering in the life of a believer. And now he's talking to us, okay, now, hey, leaders, hey, shepherds, listen to me. And I really do think it, everything he says in these verses applies to every one of us. And, and I want you to listen carefully and think carefully about what he's trying to tell you about the role of an elder. You know, over in 1 Timothy, there's one of the passages that speaks about the role of an elder. And it says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. And that verse, I think, should resonate with every guy in the room because either you do aspire to be an elder or you don't. Uh, you, you may be out there going, there is nothing in, on this planet that would ever make me want to be an elder. Uh, I don't want the responsibility. I don't need the title. I don't need, don't, I'm not interested. And then there are some in the room who are like, man, I would, I would see that as such an honor to be an elder here at Christ Chapel or whatever church you may attend. But I think what Paul is telling Timothy is that every man should aspire to be an elder to be a leader, to be a shepherd. And, and that's how I'm going to approach it this morning because this word aspires is really interesting in the Greek. It's a rego, and it means to stretch oneself out in order to touch or grasp something. It's got an idea of um, effort put into it that I, I want that. I desire that. You desire it so much that you're going to stretch out to get it. And, and this idea of aspiring for eldership is that, man, that is something that, man, I want to get my hands on. Now, the key is, why do you want your hands on it? What are you really looking for? And I think for some men, it's, it's the um, status that goes with it. You know, it's like being on a board of directors. Um, why anybody would want to be on a board of directors for anybody, I, I have no idea. But there are, there are men who aspire to that. They want that on their resume. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong to be on a board of directors. It's just what's your motivation is the key. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to be an elder? If it's, if it's the title, if it's the whatever dignity goes with it, that's a wrong reason. But every one of us, according to Paul, should aspire to being an elder, to reach after that. And it's interesting Elsewhere in the same letter, Paul writes to Timothy using the very same word, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving, reaching out for, trying to get their hands on money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Same word. Now, all of us can relate to this, you know, the craving of money, the reaching out for money. If I could just get a little bit more, if I could just get a little bit bigger raise, a bonus, if I just had more money, everything would be perfect. It's the same word he uses if you aspire to be an elder. If I could just get that, why? Why would you want that? Why would you aspire to being an elder and everything that goes along with it? You know, he also says that it's a good thing to desire the role of an elder. And that Greek word is epithemio, and it means to have a desire for, to long for, even to lust after. 
And again, that can have a negative connotation. It can have a positive connotation that I really long for that. I, in a way, lust after it. I crave it. I want that in my life. And it's interesting, in 1 Peter 4.1, he used a very similar word. It's, it's from the same root. He says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. That's the word epithemia. So it's, it's got a negative connotation, this idea of human passions that I... I crave the wrong things. I crave sexual pleasure. I crave things that God has forbidden. But it's got a positive side, that it's a good thing to desire to be an elder, to crave it, to long for it. Why? Now, see, in in the church environment, we think of it in terms of... um, I I served on our elder board here at this church for six years, um, and... I don't know if it's anything I would ever crave for again, you know, because um, it's, it's not glamorous. It's not um, anything that you get a lot of. For the most part, most of the people that go to this church don't even know who our elders are. Nine times out of ten, they operate behind the scenes. They sit in meetings. They make decisions. They, they vote. They pray. They, but most people don't know who the elders are. And, and yet, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being an elder. And so this idea of you should aspire to it, you should crave it, you should desire it, what's he talking about? Is it the role? Is it the title? Is it the job responsibility? Well, I think there's more to it than that. I think it's obvious that there's more to it than that. See, I can desire those things that are unacceptable and dishonorable. We all do it. Fame, um, more money, craving after money, craving after recognition, um, earthly rewards. We can all desire the wrong thing, but he's saying you should desire what is honorable, what is acceptable. What does God want? Well, think about it. Uh, The scriptures refer very often to God as a shepherd. They often uh, refer to Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Um, the model of shepherding is all throughout both the Old and New Testament. This idea of being a shepherd is something that all of us should aspire to uh, because there, there are people all around us who need to be shepherded, who, who need leadership, who need, who need counsel. So I think what he's talking about is character. It's the character of an elder that you should aspire to. Well, what is the character of an elder? What, what is it that makes an elder an elder? And this is where you have to go to Titus and 1 Timothy to find out, well, okay, what, is a, what does an elder look like? What, what should an elder, what kind of character should an elder have? So it's not the title that's important. He's not saying aspire to have the title of an elder. He's saying aspire to have the character of an elder. And this is where it gets really interesting. So over in 1 Timothy 3, an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. Oh, well, that disqualifies me. That just simply means that there's nobody who can step into your life. Ted's used the uh, illustration oftentimes that that word in the Greek really means that there's nothing in your life where somebody could reach into the church and grab a hold of you like you have a handle on your back and shake you and in doing so shake the church. So they can't come in and go, oh, he's an elder? Hey, let me tell you what he did to me. Let me tell you how he handles himself in the office. 
there's nothing that someone can do to reach into the church and shake the church because they're shaking you as an elder because you aren't above reproach. That doesn't mean that you haven't had mistakes in your life, past sins that you've repented of and you've moved on by. We all have those. It's not that you've lived a sinless life. It's that there's nothing currently going on in your life that is unresolved. That's all he's talking about, that you didn't take care of, that didn't go well, and you basically just let it ride. So this idea of being above reproach isn't that you're sinless. It's just that you have taken care of things in the appropriate fashion, whatever they were in your life. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. Ah, I already confessed to that one. He must be able to teach. He must be a, not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So look at these qualifications. We're not going to unpack all of these, but they're all pretty basic. You know, faithful to his wife, that makes sense. Um, that really, that phrase literally means that he's a one-woman man, that he's... he's he loves his wife, and he doesn't love any other woman besides his wife. He's not prone to wander with his eyes. He's not prone to have affairs. He's, he's faithful. Well, how about Titus? What does Titus say? A lot of similarities. An elder must live a blameless life above reproach. Same idea. He must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. Why does he keep bringing that up? <laughs> and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. You know, this idea of teaching is really kind of interesting because that's, that's probably a big part of this that scares more men in the room than any other. Well, I'm not a teacher. I, I can't get up and teach. I, I can't do what you do. I don't, I'm, I don't feel confident teaching. Really what this is talking about, and it's kind of clear in the last portion here, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be, will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. And it's really more of a, a picture of one-on-one -on -one sitting down with somebody and helping them understand the scriptures. It's not getting up in front of a crowd of 100 or 200 or 2,000 and preaching a message and having a well-prepared you know, presentation. It's are you able to sit down with somebody and help them understand the scriptures? Well, let's go to the word. Here's what the word says. And every man in the room is capable of that. You are. It just means you've got to spend time in the word. You, you've got to be able to dig into it, to read it, to study it, ask questions of others about it so that then you're prepared. So if your kids come up to you and say, hey, dad, I'm really struggling with X. Hey, let's, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Because they're going to turn to the world or they're going to turn to their friends. Well, you should be able as a father, as a shepherd, to take them to the word of God. That's all this is really talking about. So these are the two passages we use to come up with the qualifications for an elder. So we should aspire. And it goes back to that word we looked at 
earlier, orego, stretch oneself out, reach for, desire it, grasp for it. I want that. What's he talking about? All those qualities we just read. I want those qualities to be true of my life. You should want those qualities to be true of your life. Why wouldn't we want those to be true of us, right? A faithful husband, a, a, a man who leads his family well and who takes care of his kids and his kids are believers. And, and you may say, well, my kids are still young. Okay, but lead your kids in such a way that at some point they will come to faith in Christ. They'll see him in your life. You talk about him constantly. You, you read the word of them. You guide them in the scriptures. Here's what, here's what I want to encourage you guys. We have a wonderful children's ministry here at this church. Do not expect this children's ministry to lead your kid to Christ. That's your job. You know, kids camp's wonderful. And, and many of you have sent your kids to kids camp and you love they get to go to kids camp and, you know, ki- hundreds of kids come to faith at kids camp. Man, don't wait for kids camp. Start sharing the gospel with your children. If you have a high school or if you have a junior high student, don't, don't turn your kid over to the student ministries to, to let them straighten them out. That is your job. It, it, just like with my kids, it's my job. It's, it's, we need to take this re- responsibility seriously. You are a shepherd of your wife, of your kids, and we should aspire to have these things to be true of us. All those characteristics we just read, go back and read them again. Study them. Look at them. Which ones are not true of you? Because really all he's saying is, guys, these are the characteristics of a leader, the characteristics of Christ, what he has in his life, and they should be true of my life. So whether you've ever been or ever will be appointed an elder has nothing to do with this passage. The vast majority of the men in this room will never be an elder in this local church or maybe in any local church. But you know what? You should all qualify. I should be able to to look in this room and go, that guy could be an elder. That guy could be an elder. Yeah, but I've got some things in my past. Have you repented of those? Yeah. Have you rectified those that need to be rectified? Yeah, all except one, then go back and rectify it. Whatever it takes, rectify it. See, we should aspire to qualify. We should aspire to be elder worthy. And I think that's really what he's, he's telling you and I. And then he says to us, I exhort the elders. Now, yes, he's talking to literal elders, those men who are leading that local church. But listen to what he says, because I think if you aspire for eldership and you desire to meet those qualifications, this applies to you. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So here's Peter, much like Paul, having to write a letter to a congregation that he's not there to shepherd and he's having to depend on who? Other shepherds, other elders to shepherd them because he can't be there. So he says, shepherd the flock of God. I can't be there. I can write a letter, but I can't physically be there to shepherd them. So I need you to do it. Look at this church. Now, some of you don't go to this church, but think about your church. Think about the size of this church. 
Now, we have a large elder board, but we don't have that many elders to shepherd this many people. We have a large staff, but we don't have that many pastors to shepherd the number of people who attend this church. And, and we know that we have, right now, we've got well over 900 to 1,000 people who stream regularly our services. How do we shepherd them? What does that look like? How do we shepherd the West Campus? How, how do we do that? Well, we need shepherds. And we need men who are willing to shepherd whether they have the title or not. You know, we've, we've always believed as a church that when we go to look for elders, what we're looking for are men who are already doing the, the role of an elder. They're already eldering, shepherding, and we're just saying, hey, we're going to slap a title on you. We're going to make it official, but you're already doing it. You're already leading. You're already serving. You're already teaching. You're already doing the work of an elder. Now we're going to make you an official elder. And give you a name tag. That's basically all you get. Well, now they get a shepherd's crook. They actually get a literal shepherd's crook. But they were already an elder before they ever got recognized. So I want you to take everything we look at personally. It's speaking to you as much as it's speaking to anyone in the room. And he says that we are to exercise oversight. That Greek word means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee Think about a shepherd. I know none of us are agrarian. We may have grown up on a small farm or, you know, out in West Texas, but none of us are really, really farmers. And this whole shepherding thing doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But think about a shepherd. Think about the idea of keeping care of a flock. And he says, we're to inspect, oversee, take care of, look over the flock. It's not a matter of just putting them out in a field and then walking away and doing your thing you got to watch them. Why? Because sheep need a shepherd. Sheep are dumb. Sheep make stupid decisions. Sheep are flock animals. They group together. They follow others, the other's leads. They don't really know what they're doing. They're defenseless. They can't defend themselves. They, they literally can overeat themselves to death. They're prone to parasites. They're prone to be easy prey. And so he says, you need to look out for this flock. You need to inspect them constantly. You guys, and again, this applies to you, think about this church. How's the health of this church? Don't leave it up to Ted or Bill or Doug or me. Or, you're a shepherd as much as I'm a shepherd. And that's why God puts such a high priority. Why? Because he cares for the flock. He cares for every person who attends this church and every other church. And he's, he's calling us to play the role, shepherd, lead, inspect, oversee, because sheep need to be shepherded. And oftentimes, you know, what's the, the coolest thing for me as a pastor and Ted as a pastor is if somebody, if one of you guys ends up in the hospital and I find out about it and I go to the hospital and you've already been visited by your small group, your small group leader, maybe some guys at your own table, that is shepherding. And that means the world to me. That it's not just, okay, I got to hurry up and get there because if I don't get there, then he won't be shepherded. And they won't feel loved. You've already been loved. You've already been shepherded by those who understand what shepherding is all about. And, and that's why, again, this is so important to the role of the church and the role of an elder and the health of the church because the church of God always needs these two things, protection and provision. Always. We're a healthy church. We're a, 
a wealthy church. Let's just face it. We, we have wonderful facilities both here and on the West Campus. We, we have a lot of things going for us, but we still have sheep who need protection and provision. We have a lot of struggling sheep in this church. And you may be one of them. You may be going through a difficult time in your life right now, and you need shepherding yourself. There are times in my life when I need to be shepherded, and I need men to help come into my life and come alongside me and shepherd me and encourage me. Ted needs the same thing. See, we're to, we're to shepherd one another. We're to look after one another. And, and I love what the Old Testament does with this idea of shepherding from God's perspective. And, and so I want to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 34, where God has some very strong words to shepherds, to leaders, to priests, to pastors, so to speak. Listen to what he says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but do you not feed the sheep? The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. What is God saying about the shepherds, the spiritual leaders of Israel? You stink at your job. You're hacks, and I'm not going to put up with it. Why? Is he mad because they don't do their job well? No, he's mad because the sheep are suffering, and he loves the sheep. Look at what he says. You don't strengthen the weak, you don't heal the sick, you don't take care of the injured, you, you let the stray leave, and you don't go out and seek him. Think about this church. Think about people you know who are straying from the faith, who are struggling in their marriages, who are struggling in their walk, and you know about it, and you're okay with it. This indictment is on you as much as it is on me. Because I may not even know these people. I may not even know what's going on. And, you know, personally, I get tired of people who come to me and say, you need to call so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Why do I need to call them? Well, they're struggling. Well, who are they? Well, they're my next-door neighbor. They're in my small group. Well, have you called them? No, I'm not calling them. Well, why do I need to call them? Well, you're a pastor. Shut up. <laughs> You're a pastor. You know them. I'm going to call them out of the blue. You know, hey, their marriage is struggling. Oh, that's great. I'm the pastor. I'm going to call up and say, oh, I hear your marriage is struggling. Click. Mm. <laughs> they don't want to talk to me. They might not even want to talk to you, but you know what? You still need to call them. See, this whole idea of, of pro professional shepherds is a misnomer. You guys are shepherds, and you should care. And these indictments fall on you as much as they fall on me because God loves the sheep. He loves your kids. He loves your wife. And if you're waiting for the high school ministry to shepherd your rebellious high schooler, God's going to look at you and go, hey, buddy, I gave them to you. Are you shepherding that sheep? Are you speaking into their lives? Are you leading? And we're going to see later in these verses, live by an example. Be an example to the sheep. 
to your kids, to your wife. So he goes on in verse 30, or verses 11 and 12, he says, This is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. You're not going to do your job? I'll do it. See, guys, what, what I don't want in my life and you shouldn't want in your life is, is to have to stand before God at some point and him to go, I did your job for you. I asked you to shepherd and you didn't. And I had to do your job. You know, I'd be like when, when my uh, youngest son was still at home and, and one of his chores was to take out the trash. I can count on one finger how many times my kid took out the trash. And I would try to shame him by taking out the trash for him. And it never worked. You know, I would do it right in front of him and I'd take the trash out and he would just, you know, he wouldn't even thank me. He just, well, that's great. I don't have to do it. See, I don't want to stand before God one day and he goes, you know, I took out the trash constantly for you. I, I cared for the sheep because you wouldn't do it. You didn't take care of your family. You didn't lead well. You didn't, you didn't shepherd well. See, God cares for the sheep. Do you have the same heart for the sheep that he does? Start with your family. That's the easy one. That's the low-hanging fruit. If you're married, do you care for your wife? Do you shepherd your wife? Do you shepherd your, your kids? If your kids are out of the house, do you shepherd your grandkids? Do you shepherd your neighbors, your people in your small group? Those that you know who attend this church, who you know are not doing well, do you shepherd them? Do you care about them? Do you have the same heart that God does for the sheep? We should. I think that's what this passage is teaching. Because he says to shepherd as God would have you. See, this all goes back to doing what is right. What would God have you do? What is right in God's eyes? Well, what's right in God's eyes is shepherd. Take care of the sheep. Do what God would have you do. Do what the will of God is. And here's what I know the will of God is. Take care of the sheep. This room is full of sheep. There's lots of us, and this is just a small portion of the sheep who attend this local church. There's so many sheep that need to be shepherded, and we all need to be willing to do it. And then he gives us some, some kind of extra information. Don't do it under compulsion. And I, can, I, I know there's some of you sitting out there going, another guilt message. You know, that's not my intent. I'm not trying to heap guilt in you. I'm just trying to let you know that God cares for sheep. You should care for sheep. Sheep need shepherding. You're a shepherd. Do your job. I know if you went to work today and just sat on your butt and surfed the internet and played video games, you would lose your job. Your boss would not look kindly on that unless you happen to be the boss. Do your job and don't do it under compulsion. No, he says instead do it willingly. I want a shepherd. I aspire to being a shepherd. Don't do it for shameful gain. There is not money in shepherding. None of our elders get paid to be an elder. But we're to do it selflessly. Is it hard leading your family? You bet. Is it hard shepherding your kids? Yes. Do you, you know, my wife, when our kids were much younger and still in the home, and we had six, she, she would always get kind of frustrated with me because she'd say, well, 
you go and teach men all the time, but why don't you teach our kids? I said, because it's harder. Teaching guys is fairly easy. And some of them actually compliment me. My kids never compliment me. I mean, I could do a great little study with my kids, and they're all going, looking at their watches, you know. They never, I never had one of my kids say, Dad, that was a great, great quiet time. Dad, that was a great devotional at the dinner last night. They're like, are we done? Can we leave? Do I have to listen? Are we going to do devotionals tonight? They were, I'd much rather come teach you guys. But I'm to do it selflessly. It's hard. Shepherding is hard work. I'm not to domineer. See, if you want to be an elder so you can domineer and go, I'm an elder. And you want to put it on your resume, I'm an elder. You missed the point. That's a domineering attitude. That's an unchristlike attitude. We're to do it humbly. And here's the key. We're to, we're to be examples to the flock. This is the hardest part of being a Christian is being an example, right? It's hard to be an example. It's hard to set yourself up as, hey, do as I do. Watch what I do. And literally, the word means typos. It's an imprint. It's, it's, it's like taking a hammer and striking it and leaving an indent in something. It's leaving an impression, a mark, a blow. That's what this word literally means. So I am to be, you are to be an impression of Christ to all those around you, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, leaving the impression of Christ. You're to be a replica of him. It's like a die that you take and you You strike it into metal, and it creates the same impression every time. That's what we are to be, the impression of Christ. And every one of you are shepherding somebody. Somebody's watching you. You may find this hard to believe, but there's somebody who looks up to you, somebody who goes, man, I want to be like him. And you need to take that seriously, especially your kids. They're looking at you, and do they see the mark, the impression of Christ in you? Or do they see the mark of something else? See, you are, you are a shepherd, <coughs> excuse me, and you do impress and have an impression on so many people who are looking at your life, either positively or negatively. And it, interesting, the same word is used in the Gospel of John, where it speaks of the nail prints in Jesus' hands. Unless I see his hands, Thomas said, Jesus' hands, the marks of the nails, the place my, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, that's the same word, typos, impression, the, the scars, the battle scars, the wounds of Jesus. See, we are to carry the mark of Jesus, the imprint of Jesus, which fits perfectly for everything we've studied about suffering as Jesus has suffered, that people will see the suffering of Christ in our lives and the growth that comes with it, the mark of Jesus. And over in Acts chapter 20, Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, listen to what he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. See, look at your life. Are you doing well? Are you healthy? Are you growing? And then he says, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And again, I, I apply this to you as much as I do to me. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 
See, guys, this church, this local church, Christ Chapel Bible Church, is under constant attack from the enemy. And he wants to destroy this church. And he's attacking the flock in all their different little folds, all across the city of Fort Worth and Tarrant County, West Campus. He's attacking families. He's attacking children. And we need to be concerned about that. And we need to be sensitive to that. And we need to be examples to the flock. We need to lead well. We need to take care of ourselves. And then he says, when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, appears, you're going to receive an unfading crown of glory. See, here's the deal. You can enjoy glory now or you can have it later. Most of us live for current glory, present glory, accolades now, pats in the back now. But we should be working for future reward that comes from him. See, it all goes back to what would God have you do? What does good behavior, godly behavior look like? It's part of it is being a good shepherd, shepherding well, and you'll get your reward. You'll get your pay in the right time, in the right way. So in Matthew, Jesus said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And he he goes through this whole passage in chapter 6 as part of the Beatitudes, about being careful about why you do what you do. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. If you do it for show, if you do it to get recognized, if you do it to be thought highly of, that's the reward you will get. But that's not the reward we should want. I should want the reward that he has for me. He's not done. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Don't try to look miserable. Oh, I'm, I'm fasting. I fast. I've been, I've been fasting for, th- gosh, three hours. <laughs> Trying to impress somebody. Man, I spent three hours in the Word this morning. I'm, my, you see my eyes? Their eyes are good. No, you're doing it for the wrong reason. He says, I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they're ever going to get. The praise of men, the accolades of men, that's not what we should want. So what's he say? We're looking for the unfading unfading crown of glory. So he says, instead, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Do it secretly. Do it humbly. Pray to your father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. And your father who sees everything will reward you. See, God is looking. God knows what you're doing. If you're doing it for the accolades, if you're doing it for the rewards, if you, wanna, if you aspire to be an elder so you can get the title and put it on your resume or flaunt it, or whatever glory you think comes from that, you're doing it for the reason, wrong reason, and you may get some, you may impress some people, but that's all the reward you're going to get. We're looking for a different reward. We're looking for an unfading reward, that unfading crown of glory. Future reward, guys, should influence present behavior. What is God going to reward you for? So you don't want it to be what he said to the prophets of Israel, You didn't shepherd my sheep. You didn't heal them when they were sick. You didn't seek them out when they wandered. And I had to do your job for you. That's not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is good, well done, my good and faithful servant. Pleasing God should trump pleasing others. Why do you do what you do? Why do you lead the way you lead? Why do you shepherd the way you shepherd or not shepherd at all? Do it for future reward. So real quickly, what about everybody else? And he goes on in verse five. 
He says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So if you've listened to this whole thing and go, well, I still don't think I'm, I'm an elder. This doesn't apply to me. Well, this applies to you. All of you, with humility, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility and submission are huge. They're the key characteristic of what it means to be Christ-like. Humility, submission. Because here's the deal. Whether you think you're a shepherd or not, whether you accept the responsibility of being a shepherd, if you try to shepherd somebody who doesn't want to be led, guess what? That's hard. And those men in this church who have the role of an elder, they need sheep who are willing to follow. And that's why he says, all of you live humbly and submissively. He's talked about it in this book. Submit to the authorities. Submit to anybody in leadership over you. Why? Because it's difficult to lead those who refuse to follow. Think about your kids. Think about your wife sometimes. It's hard to lead when they're not willing to follow. But it's easier for people to follow you when they can respect you and you lead well. And you lead like Christ. And you're humble. So this idea of humility goes both ways. Humble leaders, humble followers. And the result is the grace of God, God's unmerited favor. We need the grace of God. God gives grace to who? The humble, not the prideful, the humble. And I need grace as much for sanctification as I needed it for salvation. You need the grace of God every day of your life. That's why humility and submission are so important. Holiness, guys, is impossible without humility. And ultimately, that's what it's all about is our sanctification and that's why he ends, at least right today, this morning, we're going to end with this verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, how? Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's what this is all about. You are an elder. You are a leader. Do it humbly. Do it obediently. Do it diligently. Do it aspiringly. I want to lead well. I want those characteristics to be true in my life. You are being shepherded by someone. Do it with humility. Come under their leadership willingly and submissively. And God will bestow grace on you. The grace you need for what? Sanctification, holiness, Christ-likeness. Humble yourselves. So here's your questions for this morning. Why do you think we find humility and submission so difficult? And why does God put such a high stock in both? Think about it. I don't like humility. I hate to submit. Why? Why are those so hard, and yet why are they so important to the Christian life? Secondly, why would it be so important for every man to aspire to the role of an elder? What is it about the character and the role of an elder we should seek? Go back and look at the, those two lists in Titus and Timothy. Why do you think living for a future reward from God has less appeal than present recognition? Well, that's so out there. I don't even know what that reward looks like. But I know what it looks like here, and it feels good. Why is one more attractive than the other? So those are your questions. You may get to all. You may get to none. You may have one of your own, and that's okay. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for the idea that every one of us has been called to lead, called to shepherd, called to emulate Christ, to be the mark of Christ an example to those around us. Father, give us the heart that you have for the sheep, those sheep who live in our home, those sheep who live in our neighborhood, those sheep who attend our small groups, sit around the table with us on Thursday mornings. 
Father, may we have the heart of a shepherd. May we aspire to the character of an elder. Because, Father, that's what you've called us to. Thank you for these men. Bless the time around the tables. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.